This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. If you are justified through grace, through faith in Christ, then your life will be a demonstration of that in every aspect of your life. You will have different attitudes and different actions, different focuses and different directions than the rest of the world. The justified man, the justified woman, lives a life that is honoring and glorifying Christ. That's what the Word declares. So it's, it's, this is not cheap grace. Pastor David will be taking us through the life of Abraham, that we are not to have faith in our works, but to have good works because we have faith. The Lord says in the book of Isaiah that our righteousness is as filthy rags. The best we have to offer God on the basis of our works is looked at as filthiness. Faith in Christ must come first. Then, empowered by the Holy Spirit, He calls upon you and I to walk in obedience to His Word. Our good works prove that we have faith that is alive. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 27, for part one of our message entitled, Abraham Believed God. If you would, we're going to read uh, beginning in chapter 3, verse 27 through 31. Paul writes to us there, where is boasting then? It is excluded. And by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. We established the law. And this whole section here, as Paul has spoken about earlier on, that all had sinned, but yet we've been justified freely, and that God sent forth as a propitiation for our sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he says, so where is the boasting? The boasting isn't in anything that we can do. Nothing that we have done can we boast in. It's the reality of the grace of God that's working in our lives. We look there in verse 28, and it says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Now, if you haven't gathered it yet, man, that is one of those precious gold nuggets in the book of Romans that, again, you ought to know, you ought to understand, memorize it, have it, keep it, hold it, cherish it, because it is precious. Man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Martin Luther, as he was revived and renewed and truly became born again in reading the book of Romans, wrote this in reference to that. He says, true then, there's these two sayings, that good works do not make a good man, but a good man does good works. He also said that bad works do not make a bad man, but a bad man does bad works. What makes a man lost? Is it because he does bad works? No. A man is lost because he has not come to faith in Jesus Christ. The Word of God tells us in John chapter 3 that the world is already condemned. We were born in sin. 
and it's through coming to faith in Christ that we receive salvation. When Luther speaks to us about the fact of good works and bad works and that the change comes and not in what we do, but again, the fact is when I come to faith, when I come to salvation, I become that good man that I am going to do good works. But outside of Christ, that's the one that he speaks of, the bad man. He can only do bad works. As a matter of fact, the word of God speaks to us is that our righteousness, the work that we could do on our own, is nothing but filthy rags before God. Because God is not impressed with your good works. I don't know if you've figured that out or not. God is not impressed with your good works. Does he call for you to do good works in him? Yes. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a child of God, you claim him as your Savior, your God, and your King, then he calls upon you and I to walk lives of obedience and in lives of good works. But you know what? Just doing that outside of that relationship with him does absolutely nothing for us. William Evans also speaks on this, another Bible teacher from years ago. He says that the working man is not the justified man. But the justified man is the working man. If you are justified through grace, through faith in Christ, then your life will be a demonstration of that in every aspect of your life. You will have different attitudes and different actions, different focuses and different directions than the rest of the world. The justified man, the justified woman, lives a life that is honoring and glorifying Christ. That's what the Word declares. So it's, it's, this is not cheap grace. As I've shared a couple of weeks ago, grace was free, but it was very costly. It was free to you and I. But it was very costly because it took the very death of Christ in order to obtain it. We look at verse 31, and it kind of poses a powerful question to us. In verse 31, he says, Do we then make void the law through faith? And he says, Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Well, I want to look at that word, that to make void. It comes from a Greek word, katargeo. Katargeo Katargeo means, yes, to make void, but it also means to overthrow or to do away with. Do we do away with the law because faith has come? Well, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, you remember Jesus in the gospel speaks that I've not come to do away with the law, but I've come to complete, fulfill the law. The law hasn't left. The law is still there. When you and I come by faith in Christ, we don't simply say, well, now we can go and live any other way. No, the law still remains. This is still God's standard and God's call to us. Christ has fulfilled the law. I am now under Christ, so my faith or my salvation is based on Christ and not on my own ability to keep the law. We look at this and we understand that, you know, he says we don't do away with it, but what we do is we are establishing it. And how do we establish it? Well, again, we look in actually three different ways. First of all, Through faith, coming to faith, we establish the law because it shows that God is showing respect to the law. That God is showing respect to the law. He's unwilling to pardon sinners any other way. In other words, he's not going to go any other way except through the fulfillment of the law. God is respecting the law. God has not changed the law. God has not lessened it. He showed that it could not be violated. He had to be resolved to the fullest of its measure. 
God didn't simply say, I love you so much, I'm going to do away with the law. No, God says, I love you so much, the law still needs to be fulfilled. And the law does not change. And that's where comes the second point, that Jesus Christ magnified the law by living completely the law in order that he might be that payment for our sin. He says, Christ was the one who made the law literally honorable. He lifted it up. He lived his life in glory and in honor to his Father in obedience. He lived his life to the very end, to at the very end. He says, in all things, I've done whatever you've commanded me to do. And so Christ magnified and honored the law rather than making it void. And then thirdly, the fact is, is that because of faith, we obey the law. We don't become law breakers. We don't cast the law out when we become believers. No, now we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to live in obedience to God's law. And we honor the reality of what he speaks. You say, well, does that mean that we have to go back and live all the Old Testament laws? No. What about the Ten Commandments? I would say yes. We look at what the Ten Commandments, but some of those Old Testament laws, they were definitely just for the Jewish nation as God was establishing them. After all, any of you have bacon or sausage this morning with your uh, uh, breakfast today? Well, that, that would be against the, the Jewish law of the time, but it's not really and truly the law that speaks, again, of the holiness of God. We're not doing away with those laws, but it's, again, the law and the word of God that comes to us, the command of God. We look at the fact that as we come by faith to Christ, it's not by doing those laws we receive favor of God. But because by faith we've received the favor of God, now we're being obedient to it. We look back in chapter 4, keep going here in chapter 4, and looking at the first three verses. He says, so what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That verse 1 there speaks to us, shall we say that Abraham, our father, was found according to the flesh. That, what then shall we say? That's one of Paul's favorite little phrases, at least in the book of Romans. And it's interesting. In the book of Romans, he uses that phrase six different times, and he never uses it in any of his other writings. It's kind of interesting. I look at it because I look at what he's writing in the book of Romans, as I said through this whole series. He is like that prosecutor that comes up before the jury, before the audience there, and he's declaring these things. And he comes up almost to the point of thing of saying, now, do you know what I said? Do you understand what I just said? Or what I'm about to say? It's kind of like parents with your children. Did you hear me? And the kid says, uh-huh. And then goes off and does something else. And then you take them and you explain it again. It says, do you understand what I'm saying to you? Uh-huh. And then they go off and do something else. Well, Paul, six different times here in the book of Romans, he speaks about that. In Romans 6.1, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then, of course, he answers it with a negative. Well, certainly not. Romans 7.7, 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, God forbid. Again, he answers it in the negative. Romans 8.31, he says, what shall we say then, or say to these things? 
And the answer is with a positive. He says, if God be for us, who can be against us? In Romans 9, 14, he says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Well, again, the answer is in the negative. Certainly not. And then Romans 9, 30, what shall we say then? And then he gives this positive declaration that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have now obtained righteousness, and even the righteousness which is of faith. So he gives all these declarations, he brings it about, he makes his stand, what shall we say then? And he brings this question to us in verse 1, what shall we say then? that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh. And so he's asking this question, what has Abraham found according to the flesh? Abraham our father according to the flesh. And I'm stumbling on this because even in the very version that I read it in, the New King James Version, the declaration you don't know when he says according to the flesh, is he dealing about the fact that he's our father according to the flesh or what he has found according to the flesh? Some of you might have King James Version this morning. And the King James Version takes the same verse and says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? Now that still sounds to me like, what has he found according to the flesh? And that's not what he's saying here. But it's confusing the way that it's phrased. We look at another version, the New American Standard Bible. And it says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, according to the flesh, has found? Now, that's a little bit clearer that it's Abraham, our father, according to the flesh, that he's our father, according to the flesh, that he's found. But, you know what, I I give a hard time to those who uh, have the New International Version. And I tease you and say that it's the NIV, the nearly inspired version. But... The truth is, the NIV gets it right on the money on this one. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? The flesh is not what he's speaking of here. So the NIV just kind of pulls that stumbling block out, and I don't necessarily agree with the fact of just pulling words out that were written. But it makes clear what Paul is saying. What has Abraham, our forefather, discovered about this matter? It has nothing about him being in flesh. No, he was our forefather according to the flesh. And the thing that he discovered and the thing that we see is this whole process of faith and not works. And so the question I have to you this morning is, do we have or do you have works that are based on faith or do you have faith that's based on works? You're going, well... Don't they say the same thing? No, they don't. And that's what you need to understand, and that's what you need to see. Works based on faith or faith based on works. I hope this morning that the one that you do have and the way that it ought to be is is that you have a works based on faith and not a faith based on works. And what I'm saying on this is there are many within The church, and I'm speaking here of the church visible. All those that would come and be a part of any church anywhere. There are many, in fact, uh, I would say there are multitudes that come to the church visible, and their faith is based on their works. In other words, because I go to church, because I support the church, because I do good deeds, because I've done this, because I've gone through ceremony, I've gone through the ritual, then therefore, 
I have a relationship with God. Their faith is based on their works. But what Paul is trying to hammer in here and continue to deliver to us is, no, the works that we do on the outside need to be based on faith. Faith needs to come first. It's faith in the completed work of Christ that then determines the kind of work, the direction of work, the kind of life, the direction of our life that we live. We don't flip them around. We cannot flip them around. The basis of it all is on faith. And from that comes our life. That's why we can look there in verse 3 where Paul declared that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. All that he had gone through, all that he had seen, and yet God makes this declaration to him, and Abraham believed God. And so suddenly, boom, he was stamped as righteous. Now you are righteous. Why? Because you believe what I'm speaking to you. You believe my declaration. I want to look for a while in Genesis chapter 15. If you've got Old Testament there with you, look in Genesis chapter 15. The story of Abraham is such a a powerful declaration of the grace and the power and the might of God. In Genesis chapter 15, in order to get all of the life of Abraham, we would have to go well before Genesis chapter 15. We'd have to go to the end of chapter 11. Genesis 15 starts and says, after these things, and Again, whenever you're reading through your Bible, you see a therefore or after these things. You need to see what it's speaking about. After what things? You remember it was Abraham who lived in Ur of the Chaldees in Babylon. Far, far away from anything about God. As a matter of fact, Ur of the Chaldees was a pagan culture. He was absolutely, completely surrounded by this pagan culture. There was nothing within the culture of Ur of the Chaldees, so far as any archaeologist or any of those who study ancient times could ever see, that there was anything that spoke about the Jehovah God of Israel. Nothing at all, but it was a completely and totally pagan culture. And yet, in the midst of that pagan culture, God comes to this one individual. It says, Abram. His name at that point was Abram. God had not changed it yet. He says, Abram, come and follow me. I'm going to show you a land you have not seen. I'm going to take you to a place you've never been before. And I'm going to bless you. Abram, you need to separate yourself from the culture that you are so deeply embedded in and come and follow me. You've got to trust me in that. You need to leave that culture behind and come forward. And some of you in your faith in Christ, you know exactly what that calling was, exactly what that direction was. So Abram came and came into the land of Canaan. He brought with him his nephew Lot. And you know the situation with Lot, that in the process of both of their herds growing, their need to get more uh, help and uh, hired servants with them, that the servants of Abram and the servants of Lot began to, to battle with each other. But Abram believed that God was working and moving in their lives. So he very easily was able to come to Lot and say, Lot, you choose for yourself. 
what you need to do, but we need to separate. You look around, and if you want to go down in the valley, you go down in the valley, and I'll stay in the mountain. If you want to stay in the mountain, I'll go down in the valley. Because Abraham, I believe, at that point even, believed God, and he was willing to trust God, whether he was in the valley or whether he was on the mountain. And Lot chose the valley. And you know the story how as he chose the valley, he moved into the area of Sodom and Gomorrah and got sucked up into that culture there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram stayed there in the mountain areas and God continued to bless him because Abram believed God. When the kings came and they invaded Sodom and Gomorrah and took Lot and his family and all the people from Sodom off as prisoners... Abram also believed God that he would be able to take his servants and go after these other kings. And so he was able to take his men, go and do battle with these other kings, be able to defeat them, to bring back all of the people without losing any. Remember the king of Sodom came up to Abram and he said, Listen, I so appreciate what you've done, so you take what you need here from the provisions, just give me my people back. Abram says, No. I'll not take anything that man gives me. I'll not trust in anything of the flesh. I give it all, and all the glory goes back to my God. And it says that he even gave a tithe to Melchizedek, the the priest of Salem at that point in time. Because, again, he was honoring God. He was believing God at that point in time in his life. Now we get to chapter 15 here, and it says, And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. In a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. This man of faith, this Abram, we see him at this time. We might say questioning God, but more than anything, he was asking a question of God. And I feel that there's a difference. You can question God or you can ask a question of God. I think at this point in time, he's asking a question of God. In verse 2, he says, Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Abram saying, you say that I'm going to have great descendants. You say that you're going to bless me, but I have no child at all. And at this point in time, Abram was about 86 years old. I don't know, as I look around the group this morning, some of you, as you're pushing into your 70s and maybe getting close to your 80s, are you ready to have another child at this point in time in your life? No, I, I didn't think so, but Abram hadn't had any at this point in time, and he needed an heir. He needed an extension, not only to be able to give his inheritance and pass it on, but even more than that, to be able to give his name and to pass it on to the next generations. And he says, I don't have any descendants at this point in time. And in verse 4, it says that, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one, this Eleazar of Damascus, is not going to be your heir, but one will come to you from your own body, and that shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look now toward the heaven, and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Now, that's pretty miraculous, If you, in, no matter what way that you look at it. Not only being the fact that he's about 86 years old, but being a man that God is speaking to him 
and says, you look at the heavens and you count the stars if you possibly can. And he's going to say, so shall your descendants be. What a blessing that God was going to give to him. Now, Abram could at that point started thinking, well, you know, is it by my works? Is it by my righteousness? Is it by my good duties that he's doing this? But it doesn't go that direction at all. He answers. It says in verse 6, he says, And he believed in the Lord. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue verse by verse through the book of Romans next time. It's been said that if a believer were to drop their Bible on the ground, it should fall open to the book of Romans. Why, you might ask? Because this book is packed full of doctrine that we truly need to grasp as believers in Jesus. Or maybe you're listening today and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet. We encourage you to continue tuning in Monday through Friday as Pastor David shares insights from this book. Pastor David will be teaching through this book with hopes that all those tuning in each day here on The Open Word would either be saved or be encouraged in their salvation. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to the Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to TheOpenWord.com and subscribe to the Open Word Podcast. And to become our Facebook friend or to follow the Open Word Twitter feed or to access the archive of messages, log on to TheOpenWord.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the Book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word. Mm -hmm.